All right, welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts, uh, brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. The uh, number one uh, driver in golf, as you know, is the M1. Uh, I'm Howard, that's Tim, Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach for the Glen Abbey Academy. Uh, I'm the mental performance coach for myself and uh, a select few. How's your levels now, Mr. Levels? I'm good. I'm good. Good levels. Good levels. Good levels, yeah. So yeah. You're, not a, you're not a sports psychologist. You just play one on the radio. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that story. Um, let me just tell you, we're also brought to you by the fine folks at Glen Karen, a, a wonderful Club Link golf facility. There's never been a better time. Actually, there's a great, uh, now that it's August, when we're recording this show, the 11th of August, uh, they have the uh, they have some special deals. Yeah? At uh, Club Link. It's a good, August, September is a good time if you're thinking of joining Club Link, and Glenn, Glenn Karen's a particularly lovely golf course, um, it's a good time because they have good deals. You can kind of do the test drive things yeah, for I don't know. the rest of the year. Yeah, something like that. So call them, call the people who really know and check it <laughs> yeah. out. Call someone who has any idea. You heard a rumor about it? Yeah, or? no, I just see the TV. I see the commercials and things. Oh. Um, we got to be uh, in about 10 minutes time or so. We're going to call our guest. His name is Ken Tarling. He's a Canadian professional golfer who has been uh, under the tutelage of our good friend Paul Doolin who was uh, my original swing, uh, my original mental performance coach before you came along and usurped. Although I haven't been doing a lot of mental performance coaching uh, lately, although I, I do want to tell the story of watching you uh, play golf, which was uh, very interesting. But we'll get, to, we'll get to all that. All right, okay. Coach Tim, Tim had a uh, career uh, nine. I did, a career nine. But uh, it was more, it was, uh, there's a lot to the story, and we'll get to that in a couple seconds. How are you? You look great. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I, I didn't think actually I was going to be here in person today. On uh, the Highway 401 around uh, Guelph, came to a complete standstill. Radio 680 said it'd be 12-kilometer you know, stretch of cars. I went, oh, my God. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to get off of here and phone in or whatever. And then it just everything just breaks up, and off we go. Like, like the mystery of politics, religion, women, golf, and the 401. I just don't get it. Don't- Why was it? Everyone bumper to bumper, and then nothing gone. I mean, phew, off we go. Yeah, the 401 for a lot of people, they don't know. You know, more than Los Angeles, more than the whatever that road is in Chicago or yeah. New York, it's the busiest stretch of highway in North America. There are 16 lanes that go across the top of the city. It's crazy. At, at places, anyway. Um We'll get started uh, on the mental side of golf. I just that that sports psychologist thing Tim's referring to. Oh, yeah. A few days ago, I was on my car and I have a PGA Tour radio on my speed dial, and they have the same number for every talk show. It's a universal number they use for people to call in. So I called in to uh, Dennis and Carl Paulson do something called Inside the Ropes, I believe. ITR Inside, yeah, something like that. And I called them and I talked to them about Furyx 58, which we'll get to at some point in this show. And, and I made a couple points, you know, talking like we talk. I, I mean, is it like, hi, Howard, first time caller type of thing? Like, or do you identify yourself? No, I just said Howard from Toronto, although I've called, this isn't ah. the first time. I probably called this show two or three times. I've called other shows, Hank Haney, uh, Golf Radio. I've called <laughs> Ledbetter. I just call. That's great. I find it amusing. Of course you would. That's, that's fabulous. <laughs> that's so dumb. So I'm there, <laughs> and I just mentioned a couple things. All I said was, how much do you think Furyk shooting 59 before had an effect on him being able to work through the mental whatever stress of shooting 58? You know, I talked about building evidence and how whether you're a, a golfer that normally shoots in the 90s and all of a sudden you're on you know, on course for a, an 82 or three, it's the same mental yeah. stuff we all go through. And anyway, the the thing that Timmy's referring to, I called Tim after. I was all excited. <laughs> I said, Tim, because, you know, what happens is they've got like a 35-second delay, which is longer than most radio shows. Most are seven. Anyway, because so I had... To, I got seconds, to yeah, yeah. I got to hear the last thirty seconds of the conversation, and they signed off by saying, "Well, there's Howard in Toronto. Thanks for your call. He sounds like a sports psychologist." And I was like, "Yeah, I do." You called me right away. Yeah, I was like, "Tim, they think I sound like a sports psychologist." You anyway, know, I was very excited about that. 
That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, big uh, news. I'm not sure how much we should get into. I want to I wanna talk to Ken. I've, I've promised him a call in about uh, three minutes' time. So I think what we'll do is we'll talk to Ken Tarling about his journey. He was a uh, sort of a local pro, very fine player, and how he wanted to go play competitive golf in Europe. He's on the European Senior Tour. And his journey kind of to get into a place where he could perform his best under pressure, which is kind of, I think, a lot of the subtext of what people listen to the show for, mm-hmm. I, I would think. Playing well and enjoying golf under, you know, under the, the circumstances we find ourselves in, whether it's your club championship or a, a business tournament. Yeah, people... Uh always wonder about this game again back getting back to mystery is how come i can't play my best when i most want to play my best right and that's when usually uh the proverbial shite hits the fan yeah i you know remember before the show i was all uh where's that email from somebody who had listened to our show is from rudra oh rudra and he was listening to the fred shoemaker show the show that we recorded that's right yes and he was listening he had a question uh, I won't get into it now, Roger. If we have some time before the end of the show, we'll uh, talk about setting up expectations. Because basically what Roger is asking is, why do we set up these expectations in a negative way sometimes when we go to play important events? Um, they become bigger in our minds than they actually are. They're just another day along the continuum of all the days we'll play golf. Yeah, well, it's always... It's always the mat. We hope that we're going to play our best golf and, and uh, maybe all this work we put in or these people around us might think we're good, that, that type of thing. I, I think there's so much based on, on, on judgment, uh, on how we're going to do and all of that stuff. You're smiling. I'm just smiling because only because um, we had another conversation before we started where Tim's going, anyway, my agent said that my levels are kind of low and I... <laughs> I said, I, I said, I, I, I showed you where the levels sulk, are. I was going to sulk in my trailer. Yeah. But and, you showed me. Well, I showed you. And now I've had to boost your level because, um, you know, you don't. Because I'm a radio podcast semi-professional. No, you're, you're just a very, you know, a, a nice person who doesn't want to, you know, project too much in case, uh, you know, you offend me. <laughs> That's why I was smiling. Because I'm on show I, 26. And yeah. I'm st- you still, and I'm concerned about. No, I know offending you're not. you. No, I just I just three times now in the last five minutes I've actually boosted your level. All right, well thank um, you. Anyway, Tim's here. I'll talk I'm louder. here. Uh, I'm going to do this. We've done this before, where I basically put on a little musical interlude to uh, call somebody. I'm not sure if you like this or you hate this. The musical interlude. No, in this part. <laughs> I love this. I'm putting this on I while I this. dial Fred uh, Ken Tarling. I was going to say Fred Shoemaker. Welcome, friends, <laughs> as Howard dials. Yeah, why don't you it's tell a tra- him? It's a tradition like no other. And he's very skillful at dialing a phone. He checks out, only does three digits at a time. That's right. Saves that- the last four. Okay, does it there with we grace go. Your call has elegance. been forwarded to an automatic voice messaging system. Oh, perfect. Hold on. Let's make sure it's the right guy. Music swells. Is not available. Oh, that's, not, oh, that's, not so great. that's great. That is great news. Well, we'll just have to talk more. We'll get one. Not of our, mind. We'll get one of our producers to call again. You know, one of our high-priced producers. Uh, I'm pretty sure I told him 10:15 Thursday. Yeah, he probably. Did. He's probably on a call. Yeah. You know, stuff Hold happens. On. You know. I'm, you maybe know, I got the wrong. Maybe I dialed the wrong number. You may have. But you know, the key thing is, I'm not taking it personally. I don't know why you want it. It has nothing to do with you. Well, it could be. You, you could on. extrapolate. Maybe I don't want to talk with Tim and Howard right now. Oh, Something I see. The fact that he's. On. Oh, I get it. <laughs> That's yeah, really funny. I see this funny. going on, but it, I've got a call that actually could make me money. Really? I don't know. What, somebody's called you? Oh, him. No, him. He's thinking that. Okay, hang on. What? I think that was the wrong number. No, I, I just dialed it from the number that I... Uh, oh. This reminds me of that conversation that Dave Robinson has. Do you edit your show? No. I don't know why we would. Yeah. I well, mean, people who listen... Hey, look at that. So there's the number. Uh, 
Oh, I did dial the wrong number. That's cool. Oh, way to go. I know. I did. You know, that's awesome. Here we go. Are you feeling shame? Not even remotely. Oh, that's good. Are you surprised? No, not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Eight. Uh, nine. See? Silly bastards. Should I be saying something wise and entertaining while you're dialing to keep our people... Well, we can't wait all... We can't wait all day for that to happen, so let's just... There you go, see? So I turned it around on you? You did, you did. Um, anyway... Because you're a professional. I am. Hello? Mr. Tarling, how are you, sir? Perfect, how are you? Good, it's Humble and uh, Tim calling from the award-winning Swing Thoughts podcast... Yes. Which I know you've got to be thrilled to uh, to be on. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. And I am thrilled to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, t- Ken, you're very welcome. I'm not sure if we had a chance to talk the other day. Uh, you got a sense that this is not like any other golf interview you've done. Right. So it's going to... Where are you, by the way? Are you, are you cleaning out your garage? Or? <laughs> no, I'm cleaning out a space so I can put my feet up on my desk and relax here. All right, we pal. Perfect. We want you to be relaxed. Um, yeah. Comfy. Ken Tarling, uh, one of the reasons uh, that, well, actually, you, you came up in a conversation I was having with Paul Doolin. Um, but before we get into what you've accomplished in terms of a, a recent sort of, not recent, a, a uh, what you've learned about the mental side of golf, why don't you kind of give uh, our listeners a bit of a sense of, you know, your journey as a professional. Uh, just give us a couple minutes of, you know, where you've been, what you've done, and then we'll talk about where you're going and how you've gotten there with your golf career. Okay. Well, uh, basically, I um, grew up in the Niagara Peninsula playing and uh, had uh, moderate successes, you know, club championships or junior boys club championships, things like that. Ontario Public Links was the only big thing I won as an amateur. Um, and then uh, I, I turned professional and uh, was successful. I won the qualifying school for the Canadian Tour and uh, started to play I started right away playing internationally. There wasn't much of a Canadian tour at that time. That's why I got involved reorganizing the whole tour and so forth. But um, played internationally and then started to focus uh, uh, around 85, 86. I started to, to focus on the PGA Tour, tried to play there. Never did have successes, although I did go to the finals. Um, and um, uh, and then from there, I uh, started to focus playing mostly in the U.S., um, stopped my international travel, and um as my children came around, it was time to to be a full-time father and not be a, a part-timer because I traveled so much. So I took uh, had professional jobs and uh, stayed close to home, but had always this plan at 50 years of age to go back out and play. And uh, so that came upon us uh, at 50, and uh, so I started to play again and, and, and started again internationally, traveling um, to Australia, New Zealand, and stuff like that, and then focusing on Europe and and I've played over there for about six years now. Um, and the last few years, the successes have been even better. And, and so that's pretty much where we're at right now. Um, I want to just ask a couple questions about some of the things you said. When you said I, I, I was always thinking about when I got to 50, I would focus on playing senior professional golf again. Was, did, you take an, uh, did you try and qualify for the uh, Champions Tour in the States? I tried... Um, I tried when I was 49 because you can try based on when your birth date will be when you'll turn 50 you can go to Q school and like everybody else I really thought I was ready you know I was a former tour player I was a very competitive club professional I played with the members on a regular basis at the club competing in PGA uh, Ontario and Canadian PGA events so I really thought I was ready and the reality is I wasn't even close. And, and you'll never really understand that, I think, until you've actually gone through it and you realize just how good these guys are. So I did try at 49, and I wasn't ready. And, I, and so I didn't try again until three years ago in, on the Champions Tour. I really focused in Europe and, and so forth. But um, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. I, very quickly, there are thousands of spots available when you're a young guy to play on all the different tours all over the world, from the Canadian Tour to the Australian Tour, South Africa Tour, and so forth. And there are 18 when you're 50 years of age, five in America, five in Europe, four in Australia, and four in Japan. And unless you understand that, or when you understand it, you'll realize just how difficult it is. A few years ago when I was at the finals of the Champions Tour qualifying, there was 138 PGA Tour wins combined in the field looking for one of those five spots. So it's a very competitive environment at 50, and uh, and, and it's it's a big step up. 
And when you were struggling, what was the what did you think that was area that was causing you to just have trouble breaking through? Well, the struggles I had were were you know I, as I said I, I won the Canadian Tour qualifying school, but after that um, I met a lot of losses, if you will. I, I, I struggled to qualify for. Anytime, I mean, I had a period of time, and, and this really will apply to what we're talking about here. I had a period of time when, when I um, I went to the European Tour School in 1985, um, and I I finished seven over in the last five holes to end up in a playoff. Mm. And in the playoff, I make double bogey, and I'm out. Um, that was the year that Ola Sobel actually won the qualifying school. Then I went to the PGA Tour Finals, and um, I was even par um, after two rounds in 20th place. This is when they used to give out 50 cards. There was no web.com or anything to fall back on. And that year I'd been under par in every single, uh, at the end of every single Canadian Tour event I played that year, I'd finished under par and I'd had a group of guys who sponsored me, provided that I finished under par in all these tournaments on the Canadian Tour, because if you could do that, obviously you could get yourself a PGA Tour card. And I remember laying in bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep after the second round. My wife was like, what's the matter? And I was like, just think, you know, four more rounds and we're on the tour. And I haven't shot over par in a four-round tournament all year. Mm-hmm. And, and then I proceeded to shoot 80-81 and missed a cut by a shot. So, I mean, it's, these sort of things went on a lot. And then when I turned 50 and I went, on the, I went to Europe to qualify, I didn't even get through the first stage qualifying the first two years. I really melted down and... We're not talking about, like, these, these were rounds of 75, 76, 77, stuff that you would just never normally do. And it really became apparent that I had carried a lot of these mental demons with me through, through, uh, throughout. You know, I, one year I missed nine times on the PGA Tour in a Monday qualifiers, shot between 67 and 71, and missed by a shot at all nine events. It just, it was, it was a real burden for me. And so this is where, as we talked with Paul Doolin, I mean, this is where it really changed for me. He, he really turned me around in a huge way. I want to get to that in a second, because there's so much of what you've said that the average club player, whether you're a, a guy that wants to compete in your club championship or you're somebody that shoots 90 and is hoping one day to shoot in the 80s. And what you're listening to is a guy that's got... You know, a lifetime of professional golf experience, lots of tournament victories, yep. an excellent, excellent player. And and after all that experience, golf's the only game where someone who has Ken Tarley's qualifications could almost could could still have difficulties breaking through in significant events under pressure. I mean, one of the things that I talked to Paul Doolin about uh, with about you, Ken, is that uh, when when Paul and I were talking, he said, you know, Ken was again. He talked about your achievements, and he said, and even with all that, Ken and I—this is you, uh, Paul, talking—have had to work through some things to get Ken in a better <laughs> mental place. And this is again, we're all around the same age, Ken. Think about all the years of golf we've all played. And it's why this is the greatest game ever manifested by um, man or, or beast. Or Satan. Um, and because it's like this guy, Ken Tarling, couldn't shoot over 75 if he tried in most golf courses. And then you go and you shoot 80-81 in Q school. Yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. And, I mean, it's just that the, 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 the mind could take such control... And, and for me to not even realize it, or for all of us, Howard, to not even realize it, you know, we, we think we're doing all the right things. And, and that's sort of what really happened when I met Paul was, you know, I'd had a couple of friends suggesting me that I should work with this Paul Doolin. I should meet him and talk to him. And I was thinking, well, who's Paul Doolin anyways, you know? And I've, I've worked with Rotella. I've had Carl, Carl Morris. I have a, one of my former sisters is now in, 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 works on the mind in, in Austria. I, I have access to some of the you know, top minds in golf, and, and I'm a positive the thinking kind of guy and 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 so when i sat down you know i said what what could paul really do for me and 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 my friend said well just tell him that and, and see where it takes you so i i i still say this today and i don't mean this to sound the wrong way but i'm thinking who is paul doolin and i've been around the world i've won all over the world i don't think this guy can really add much to what i'm doing well within five minutes of the conversation with him and he said i appreciate your honesty but let's just talk five minutes into that conversation it was like wow i was I was really engaged. So what was different? 15, what was different for him? Oh, for the difference is that Paul, what he said to me, probably the easiest way to say that is that 
you know, when you talk to so many people or you listen to these audio tapes and, and all the stuff that's out there, and, the, and, and they'll say, like, you just have, you have to be positive. You have to, you know, think good thoughts and all that sort of stuff. And so the way I explain it is, like, is like these people would tell you that if you you know if you think positive and you jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, think positive, it'll be a soft landing. <laughs> you know, and Paul would say to me, Ken, you can think that all you want, but the reality is you're going to die. This is that's the reality, and that is the difference. The difference with Paul is he doesn't deal with positive or negative in the sense that he'll work with you to understand that you shouldn't be there, that you should be positive, you shouldn't be negative, you should be neutral. There is no good or bad. There just is. And the reality is, is that you're going to hurt yourself when you jump off that bridge. So at the end of the day, that's really what changed for me was that I had this, this, these expectations. I had this understanding that I had to be positive, that I shouldn't be negative, and that I should be getting through qualifying school because I think I have some talent. But the reality is different. I wasn't, and I, it was because I was in the wrong mental state. And he really taught me about that. I didn't have a clue. I really thought I knew. And at the end of the day... I knew nothing, really. I truly knew nothing. It's unbelievable. Would it be fair to say that when you were coming down the stretch in qualifiers or other tournaments or Monday Q schools, that you would find yourself in a particular state, say, really nervous or something or, or missing shots, and, and maybe take us through what you were experiencing at the time? Was there a sense of, I should not be doing this, I should be doing something else? Can you just take us through those experiences? Because I think there's probably a lot of commonalities. Yes, what happens is that you know you, you, I'm, you're waking up in the morning and you you, you know you're gung ho. I want this spot. I want you know whether it be a one day qualifier to get into a PGA Tour event or it's the final stage of, of qualifying school, and so you, you, you know and you start to you really want this, and so you're there's emotion involved, and you're starting to get really ramped up, and then you, and then you go to uh, to play. You have an expectation. You have you know that the first hole should be a birdieable par five because it's only 500 yards long, or whatever the case may be. But the fourth hole is a really difficult par four because it's 490 yards long, and so you have these this all pre pre planned mapped out in your head, and then you go ahead and play, and then all you're doing throughout the entire process is you're keeping a scorecard based on your expectations about your from of your reality the way things should be and and that is the biggest deal is that so there's these tremendous highs of emotion on good things and there's tremendous lows on the bad things and there's uh, um, you know I should have made birdie but now I only made par or I should have made par now I've made bogey and it, it's just an absolute exhausting experience and and I didn't realize that until it really started to work on having no expectations on just playing on not having any preconceived notions of anything. And, and, and that really gave me a freedom that I'd never experienced before. You know, one of the things that Paul, uh, I started, I'd said at the top of the show, I started working with Paul uh, several years ago. I, you know, I played a lot of tournament golf as an amateur and I, I ran into Paul. And, and one of the things that first we talked about is the idea of taking care of the things you can take care of and yeah. letting the things that you can't just go. And it's a great yeah. it's a great discussion to have, but here's what I want to say. If somebody's out there and they're, they hear you talking, and one of the things that always comes up with me and Tim as well is, oh, it's easy for you guys because you can play. But, but it doesn't matter whether you're a professional like no. Ken Tarling, who's won 121 times around the world, or you're a bunch of hackers like us. There still is expectations around surrounding significant rounds a lot of times they just they just it just pops up whether you know like sometimes we can be just playing a casual round and this has happened to me several times where all of a sudden you'll get under par or playing well and all of a sudden for no reason you start to think oh this is the day i'm taking it deep people 67 here we yeah, go it's, um but but so let's talk a little bit about uh, and again what i didn't know about you is that you had you know seen rotella and other people carl morris a guest in our show and then you saw doolin or as I call him, Big Head. Paul Big Head. That's he's what he, a, he's a big man. On my on my phone it says Paul, big Paul Big Head Psychology Guy. <laughs> so one of the things that struck me is that you were sort of introduced to the world of taking care of what you can take care of. Yes. That's been huge. That that that's it. Um, there's I have no um, I have no understanding of where I stand on a hole-by-hole -hole basis relative to par. I don't get that. 
Never. I don't wow. get how you can't. Ha- uh, people have said that. It's the hardest thing, I think, for me. That you have no... T- don't tell me if you start off with... You birdie three of the first five holes. You're not on the sixth tee, and you don't know you're three under? I played with... Just to give you a... Really quickly. I, um, I played with... Um, Yesterday, I played over at the Granite Club the last two days. I took, um, uh, there was uh, three other golf professionals and myself that played on, on uh, Tuesday. And yesterday, I played with um, uh, Larry Blair, by the way, Tim, who said to say hello. Oh, yeah. And, and, and who's the general manager there now and, yeah. um, and some of the members and, and in their men's day. And at the end of both days, both rounds, the guys in my group said, how many birdies did you make today? And I was... I, I don't know. I don't know how many did I make. And they had we had to count them up. And there were seven birdies in each round. Seven the first day, seven the second day. And I didn't know. That's 14 birdies over 36 holes. Wow. No, I, no idea. Okay, so this is. I think this is really something interesting to, to dive into. Um, as Howard said, uh, like if... You know, Howard's like about a, a one. I'm about, say, a, a six about these days. I always know where I'm at, I even, but I just try and put it out of my mind. But have you developed the skill, the skill of just being able to make whatever the score is, it goes on the card, and you're able to just let that go? I By the mean, way, I think that's a great question. I think, is it a skill that I can learn, and Tim and our, and our friends who listen, can we learn that skill? I talked to Paul about that the other day because I don't really understand what's gone on here, quite frankly. And he said that that's exactly what happened, that I developed a skill for this, that I learned how to do this. I can tell you that um, I carry a recipe card with me of of Paulisms. (laughs) I'm not sure what the right word is, but all the things that that really helped me out. And and I, I read this card before I key off in a tournament, not with a casual round of golf, but... I read this card before I tee off in the tournament. I carry it in my pocket, so sometimes I even pull it out in the middle of my round. But it just reminds me of all the things that I have to do in order to be in the... See, the whole purpose of this is to be in the calmest state possible. When you're in the calmest state possible, you have access to all of your skill sets. But when you have emotional highs and lows, you don't have access to those skill sets. 100%. So I do everything in my power to be in as calm a state as I can possibly be. So that's breathing uh, exercises, it's peripheral vision, peripheral hearing, things that, that I've learned from Paul about how to do all that sort of stuff. And, and so that, to answer that question, yes, it's been a learned um, way of life, if you will, now. And it, but it's not for me, it's become it's become twenty four seven. I try to become twenty four seven. I'm not perfect by any, not even close. But but as an example, when I said to you that you know the first hole is a birdie hole, but the fourth hole is a, a very tough hole, those are expectations, and that right. that's based on my reality. Okay, now that's the problem. There's the problem. It's like when you drive down the highway, when somebody cuts you off, what's the reaction? Well, you, everybody gets ticked off. They're, they're, they're teed off big time because our expectation is that nobody should cut us off. But the reality, according to Paul, is that's going to happen because that's life. And the guy didn't necessarily even mean to do it. He might not even realize he cut you off. Right. But in the meantime, what's your reaction to it? Well, you get really hot. You start Maybe you might flip the guy the bird. You might give him a few choice words. You might even want to try to catch up to him to tell him how ticked off you are. Meantime, this guy doesn't even know. He's long gone. And the reality is, is that in everyday life, people cut people off. And in everyday golf, you don't always birdie the holes you say you should birdie. That's a great point. The idea that, uh, you know, the golf course doesn't know what you thought you were going to do that day. And it doesn't owe you anything. And just because uh, it's a downwind... I, I've had a one of the reasons I was laughing is because this whole summer I've decided that one of the things that I would like to do for all golfers is create a golf course that's nothing but downwind short par fives. <laughs> Because exactly. nothing gets us, nothing makes guys happier than, you know, coming off a hole and then maybe they've never played the course before and you say, oh, this is a 510-yard par 5 and they it's downhill, downwind. Like, there, yeah. there's an excitement about it, but there's yeah. also an expectation of it, especially if yeah. you're a somewhat skilled player right. and you know that you have the firepower to get there in two and you don't and all of a sudden, be, but the golf course doesn't know that. Golf doesn't know that. It's just... Sometimes you're gonna bogey that hole, and it and because it happens, we all get cut off in traffic. Let me share with you an interesting um, thought. Yes. Uh, years ago, years ago, um, 
Chris Haney, who's passed away but was the uh, principal at Devil's Pulpit, yes. bought the last share in a limited partnership that I, when I was still playing the tour, he bought the last share. And I was from the Niagara area at the time, and my lawyer called me and he told me, this guy's just bought the last share. You're in Toronto today. Why don't you drive up to the pulpit? He's building this golf course called the Devil's Pulpit. Why don't you go up and visit him? So I did. I didn't know who he was anyways. And we'd drive around in his, his station wagon on the mud and as they're shaping the golf course. And, and it was wonderful. And, that, and they showed me a scorecard. And I said, uh-oh, Chris, there's no pars on your card. You forgot to put the par yeah, on yeah. the card. And he told me, Kenny, there was ne- golf never was intended to have par. In the original game, there was no par. It was just a piece of property that you played over. It became something that an Americanized you know, way of measuring yourself as you went around the course. I never thought a thing about that ever again until recently when I was working with Paul and I started thinking, well, hang on, we have these expectations based on a par, but Chris told me that par is irrelevant. doesn't mean anything. So based on that... Why would we get excited with making a four when we should have been a when or a five or a three? It's just one shot after another shot after another shot, and at the end of the day, they add up to sixty-eight or whatever. Yeah, I, I love that because when you were talking about your struggles in the Q schools and Monday qualifiers, you were talking about expectations and shoulds. Yeah, and I think that's so much of what happens for golfers is that they have this this should they're making judgments about themselves yeah. and they're they're not living up to their expectations. They're playing in a state of, as our, our friend Mo Norman used to say, a state of hope and fear, as opposed yeah. to accepting what reality is. And so yeah. much of what we talk about on this show is around awareness. And, exactly. And awareness is is really accepting reality. That's correct. 100%, Tim. Mo said to me, and I, it's one of the things I carry on my recipe card, create a learned attitude of indifference. Perfect. I don't care. You know, and, and, and as much as we talk about the mental game and as much as, you know, Tim and I have spent many, many years reading about it and, you know, working through it and, you know, Ken turning himself into a perf- mental performance coach. I'm an amateur psychologist, according to um, <laughs> recent uh, PGA Tour Radio. PGA Tour Radio. I'm such a, you know what, I, Ken, I wish you could understand what, what a couple of golf nerds you're talking to. My, my biggest challenge has always been my inability to bring my ability to bear when I want it. And, uh, you know, and... Because you're playing in a conscious state, not in a subconscious state. Exactly. Exactly. Or or an unconscious state. And and, and, and I freely admit, you know, I can can have a lot of good scores and good rounds, and, you know, not so much when it counts. And I've played in the Canadian Amateur, and I've played in the Ontario Mid-Am this summer as an old guy, and I, I just could feel it... It, the, the atmosphere was too much for me. And the reason I mention this is when you went to tour school and you went to, did, did you find, and, and this is, again, you're a guy 50 years old at the time. You've been around big time golf a long time. Was the atmosphere at that point too much for you? Did it, did it intimidate you? No, 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 I, um, no, not intimidated. I was, I was, um, I wasn't intimidated by the, I just had these expectations. I just had this sense of, of where I belonged. And, and, and so as soon as something went wrong, it just, it turned my, uh, my world on its act. It just spun it like, I'm like, whoa, hang on a second. This isn't how I envisioned things to be. And then I, and I never had the ability to be able to accept and to just move forward. I, I would get tied up, and I'm now playing another hole, thinking of the previous hole, and I'm thinking, what, what am I in 20th place or 15th, or where am I now? And it was just crazy, like, honestly. And, and today, it's, the interesting thing about all that is that when I play today, of course, in Europe, you know, um, we have walking leaderboard people with us. Um, we have, obviously, the big scoreboards and stuff. I have no idea where I stand. Wow, I, that is amazing. I purposely do not look. I don't, I don't, it's funny because I had a chance to win, well, two things. Number one, at the tour school, the year that I won the tour school, a couple years ago when I won the tour school in in Portugal, um, you know, I played the first two rounds. I don't know where I stand, but I need to get my tee time. And and the guy wants to interview me. So he interviews me, and I. And so obviously, I, he's not interviewing somebody in twentieth place. Yeah. And I and I know something's going on, but I don't know, and I'm not asking. I'm just because I want to get through this qualifier. So I know that this is not going to do me any good to know where I'm go, where I stand. And so so 
my friend gets me my tea time, and and I, and I know I'm off at 9:30. And by the time I get to the tea at 9:30, there's nobody left to warm up. <laughs> so I, I got a pretty good idea. We're in the last group. The, the announcer calls the scores. I don't even listen to it. I don't even know 128 or 132, whatever doesn't. I don't care after 36 holes, and and we finish the round, and the guy wants to interview me again, and I still, I'm, I don't, I mean, I just don't go there. And then the 17th hole of the final round, um, I hit my ball into play off the tee, and I walked over a friend of mine from Houston. I said, "Where do I stand?" And at that point, I, he said to me, "Well, as long as you don't have a cardiac arrest and the 18th green, you're going to earn a card." And I said, yeah, but I mean, I wanted to win. What? And he goes, you're, you're leading by six. And wow. here's the point. You don't win big time unless it doesn't matter to you. Because what happens when you see um, on the PJ Tour Classic, you see the guys play for 63 holes with no worry about it. And then in the last nine holes, what happens? It's turbulence like you can't believe. Yeah. And that's because everybody starts to get conscious of what's going on. But when people win by large amounts, they're not worried about that stuff. When Phil and when, when Phil and, and and Stenson played that British Open this year, I mean the Open Championship, those guys were just playing. Yeah. They weren't playing against each other. They were just playing. They just separated big time because they were doing their job. Okay, they were doing their job. And can you make and, you make you make an interesting point for the average golfer because we've said this before. You know, if you're a ninety shooter and you can somehow you know you know you're having a good day, if you can kind of separate and, and detach a little bit, oftentimes people go through milestones by a, by a lot. If you've never broken 80, it's typical. Lots of times guys will shoot 84. That's right. Because they find That's themselves right. in a state where they weren't really paying attention. All of a sudden they get off the 18th hole and they know they had a good round and they go, what? I, yeah. I thought I was 89. No, you were 83. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, my son, my son and I play uh, whenever we get a chance. And my son, who's a golf pro, um, really desperately wants to beat me. And he hasn't done that. And we were just in Scotland a few weeks ago. And it's and it's really become a, a you know a, a talking point for us. And so on the ride home from one of the courses, we played a Royal Aberdeen, and he had a chance, but he didn't finish it off well, and he was really upset. And I said, "Listen, until you can learn to separate, don't even think about me. Just play golf, play the holes, do your thing. You, you know, you're never going to get over this hump because the reality is you're making it so big. Okay, it's just become so big for you that you cannot. You know, you're never going to get past it. What happens is and, and, and I explained it to him. Like, I remember playing when I was younger, and he was playing the Canadian Open. You'd be thinking, oh, Jack Nicklaus is one of the greatest players of all time. And then all of a sudden, and, and you, you, you never think you, you, you stack up, but then all of a sudden, you see, you know, I shot 72 today at Glen Abbey, and oh, so did Jack. Holy goodness, we weren't in the same group, but we shot the same score. You know what? Maybe I can play. And that's what happens is that over time, and then you start, you'll post a score that's lower than some guy that you idolize. And, and the next thing you know, you start to feel, okay, well, hang on. If I just do my thing, all these other things start to take care of themselves. But when people are trying to match a standard number all the way around the golf course, wow, wow. Yeah. they are not. You have to be, your, your responsibility when we play, Howard, as you know, Tim, as you know, our responsibility is, is preparation execution and recovery so in other words we're going to prepare for the shot we're going to execute the shot and we're going to let it go and we're going to work on our breathing and get into a calm state for the next opportunity we're going to then take in all the data collection information we're going to use our brain to get all that information then we're going to turn it over to our bodies uh, we're going to use our pre-shot routine we're going to turn it over to our body to execute the shot and we're going to accept because the reality is is that to not accept it is ludicrous because the fact is, it's either really close to the hole or it's in the bush. Either way, it is. Really <laughs> yeah. um, listen, that's, I think that's a great place that to leave fabulous it. Fabulous stuff. Um, by the way, I have the same Doolin. I have I have a Doolin recipe card I keep in my pocket, too. <laughs> Perfect. It's Perfect. the it's the one with the direct control, influence, and no control. Yeah. There you go. Hey, exactly. listen, what, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as we did because it was great talking to you. I've loved it. Thank well, you very much. I know you're going away for a while. When are you back in, uh, in the Canada? Um, Mid-September, mid I'll be back on, uh, I think, Great. 15th. Yeah, well, September. Get him in here. Well, I was going to say, we would love to have you come in, and we can uh, have you uh, in our studio, and we can talk about uh, golf some more. And, and, I'd uh, love to. Really, really I'd, appreciate it, Kenny. I'd love to, Howard. Yeah, I would really love to. Please. Thank All you. Right. I, well, there you I go. And, you. and then that'll be, and now you're one of our friends and stuff. Friend of show. That's <laughs> perfect. All right, Tarling. <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. This is Ken Tarling. Take care. Thanks, Tim. Take care. You wrote down something there. Oh, it is so perfect. No, that last thing he said, it was... Uh 
What Pre- was that last preparation, one? Preparation, execution, and recovery? That particular Yeah, preparation, piece? execution. Because I wrote down all kinds of stuff. I know you stuff. do. Um, I wanted to uh, spend a few minutes before we go today uh, talking about uh, you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, anyway, that was great. That was really... Man, he packed a lot of stuff in that. So... So listeners, listen to it once, then listen to it again because yeah. there was a lot of brilliant stuff in that. He 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 jammed. Yeah, man. He jammed a ton of stuff, particularly in that last minute about everything. Holy. Well, cow. I also wanted to talk to him when he came. When we get him in here in the studio, I want to talk about something. There's so much because he was a professional, but a lot of guys that think they're pretty good, amateur golfers, scratch golfers, plus two handicaps, at a country club. That you know, there's that class of thing of the guy in his mid forties thinks he's going to turn oh, yeah. pro. Oh yeah. And he's never played professional golf, or he's played a few, you know, Great Lakes tours around Ontario and stuff. And, and I just love what Ken said. When you get there, you realize, you know, there's a lot of guys, a lot of guys, even though statistically there are very few percentage-wise sort of low handicap and below, but inside that percentage is everybody from Tiger Woods to right. this guy. And uh, it's a very... It might be one of their most competitive things in terms of... I, I think I read once there are more people that can... There are... How do I put this? There are fewer people that can shoot 67 at St. Andrews than can open up your brain and fix it. I <laughs> love it. Um, but I want to talk about... Uh, by the way, this is uh, Swing Thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. Clint Karen. You look good there in your uh, Academies of Club Link TaylorMade uh, shirt. White shirt because it's a freaking hot day. Another one. Oh, oh, I, have to wear, I have to wear. I'd wear pants. I'm wearing uh, Adidas pants though. Oh, I have to nice. wear them today because I got to go to a grown up lunch with a grown. I'm actually. I'm actually going to lunch with a billionaire. Wow. Yeah. Guys, are, are, are you going to be like in the present moment and have like no great expectations and just not keep track of the dollars you might earn? No, he's uh, been a friend of mine for like thirty years, so. Cool. The well, hang around, Billy. Yeah. I, I went to a thing the other night. You hang around with people that who you want to make money like these be- people. Hang around them. Don't well, hang around with poor that, people. It's true that you say That's that because mean. you know you you um, there's a psych a, this like psychology thing I read years ago about you know you basically hang around with people that everyone in your group kind of makes the same amount of money, kind of has the same lifestyle. And that's why you basically are not stuck there, but that's who your yeah, people are. 100%. Anyway, this billionaire has been a friend of mine since 19-whatever. Uh, uh, and uh, the joke always is, is I always pretend to get the bill. <laughs> <laughs> that's my thing. I was going, no, 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 let me. Did you arm wrestle for it? No. He just kind of looks at me with this look like, oh, please, just stop. Yeah, you exactly. simpleton. They just, those eyes, I'm sure. So the reason I wanted to bring up... Um, what happened on the golf course with you uh, a few days ago? We play. We don't play that often. Swing thought people. You know, Tim's busy. I'm busy, and so we played on. Uh, I do a, a little Sunday morning group at my club, and there's like ten or twelve of us. And Tim wants to. Want, I got one Tim to play, and then you can only play nine holes. You you stated that before we started. Yeah, yeah. I'm just playing nine holes. I got to go and do something. We teed off around eight something, and in nine holes. It became very apparent quickly that, you know, Tim was having a very nice round of golf, a very nice day. He started making a few birdies. I think you chipped in twice. You made another couple of birdies. I think you birdied the last hole you played. I did. I, it was like I had a 12-footer for Eagle, and I just I missed it. But it was kind of nice to tap in for a birdie. Yeah. It's always nice. For his fourth birdie in nine holes. And then he shakes my hand and give me a hug, and then he left. And uh, the funny thing is, around the fifth or sixth hole, after he was kind of a couple under or even or one under, whatever it was, I start bugging Tim and saying, oh, I guess, will you be leaving now? You know, it's that classic Caddyshack scene, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I'm, I, thank you, Lord. And he's being so... As the, as the, Storm rages and the thunderbolts. So down. I want to ask you some questions. Oh, so yes. Were you at I'm any in the point? Room. Yeah, were okay. you at any point? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not time for your nonsense today. Were you at any point in that round? And let's talk a little bit about because you're you're a, a very good golfer. You're six handicap or whatever, but you have a great golf swing and you were hitting it great. You hit it great from the very first shot. And uh, I wanted to, I was watching you and thinking, because I was thinking, hey, what, what, what am I going to ask him? So at what point, well, let me start with the question I was going to ask. 
Were you ever tempted at some point when you got a couple under or you whenever that was to call and, and maybe go, hey, could you get somebody else to do this? No, never. Didn't. That, that was a non complete non-starter. I had made a commitment at uh, at my church that I was making an announcement about a golf tournament that we hold every year. And that was my commitment. So there's just no way I would I would fine. Okay. But you know, like there are millions of golf jokes surrounding uh the one of my favorite I can't remember how it goes is the guy's wife's in a car accident but he keeps playing and by the time he gets there she's dead and the surgeon's like anyway, it doesn't matter. But he's having a career round and he won't even leave the golf course to go see his wife who's been in an accident. So, okay, you say that, and I believe you, because you're the most sincere guy I've ever met. Because <laughs> the rest of us, I think we all have a number. The, you know, sometimes we'll go out and say, I'm just going to play nine holes, which is fine. And I used to do this. I'm only going to play nine holes unless, unless. I'm... <laughs> unless and I had the number, whatever that number was. Unless I'm one under, two under, even... But you never, you got to, because uh, you, you had four birdies and three bogeys. You were right. one under for the nine. Right. So I can't really remember where the bogeys came in. First hole and the fourth, and uh, I think it was six. So at some point, though, I was bugging you a little bit, like, all right, Tim. I was doing the angel yeah, exactly. and the devil. devil. Yeah. I was like, oh, you know, the, the devil going, come on, Tim, your church, anyone can do a church announcement. You know, you were like two under. I'm like, and then the, the, the angel's like going, no, Tim, we need you. The church needs you. You're like, honestly, folks, if you're, I'm like your worst nightmare if you get it going. So you, you didn't, you were never tempted. If you had been three under. Still not. If you had been four under. Still not. If you were six under. Keep going, pal. Oh, please. Doesn't matter. All right. I if made, you were it was my commitment that the, I don't know, you're, you're asking me something that I've never, that I hadn't considered at all. Um, I had made my commitment. I, mm-hmm. I really think that, um, I don't think it's just something I do. I, I really think that, that I am my word. Great. And that's it. So I said I'd be there. I would do it. If I was to phone up and say something, I would. It would make me more important than than my commitment because this, you know, you can, this goes back to our conversation with Dave Robinson. It's about choices that that I'm fully responsible for the choices that I make, and I had made a choice to that I was going to live up to that commitment. Because it would have impact. So the impact, would there'd be an impact on me if I had reneged on the commitment. Understood. And there'd also be commit, uh, uh, impacts on other people and their ability to trust me, the impact on our tournament. So, But you're only human. And I just wondered, yeah. so you had no temptation. You, weren't, you, you didn't think, oh, well, uh, playing pretty good. What I loved about it, though, and I bring it up because I thought it was great. I admired it. And uh, just, to give you an, just so it goes to show you, it's just a game. It really is a game like, you know, I always make fun of bowlers and people that play badminton and stuff. But it's just a game. You, you came to hang out with me for a couple hours. We don't spend a lot. You know, we don't, we don't get to spend as much time in the golf course, I think, as we'd like. And... You know, you were like, I'm going to go play some golf, which is a game, and I'm going to go hang out with Howard for a couple hours. We do the show together, and I like him, and I'm going to go and do this thing. Oh, yeah. We had so much fun. We had so much fun. We, yeah. we were playing with a couple other guys, nice guys, but it was largely Howard and Tim. We hit a shot, go down the course, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, and we just this, and that, yeah, this yeah. and then that. And, and to me, that's the greatest part of, of the game, and, and if you play well, uh, that's great. But to me, it, it again to connect to our Fred Shoemaker show, which I've probably listened to five times now. I just find that there's so much wisdom to. Yeah, glean people from seem that to like guy. this show. I've never actually heard it. Oh, anyway, keep going. But it's about. It's not about the number. He made the point that uh, it was so wonderful to watch Stenson and Mickelson in the uh, in the Open Championship, and. He says it was really more important to him that it would have been very cool if Stenson and Mickelson had said, wow, the way we drove each other to excel Mm -hmm. and what we learned about each other and the experience and everything, that what was most important to them, that according to, you know, World of Fred. Mm -hmm. And I really am starting to really understand that so much more that it's really about the experience 
about what we learn. It's really not about the number and who wins, who loses. I mean, that it, it's great to it's great to win. I mean, you know, feel the competition, but that's at the end of the day. You know, it, it's just it's just another number. It's something I won. It's a trophy. That's great, but it's really kind of a transitory experience, right? And the real experience to me is what do I learn in what I do, and I can take on into my next day or my next game, and all of that. And you showed that in uh, in great uh, fashion. I, I can't remember. I think I sent you a note later. Uh, I won't get it now. But I basically said, you know, I kind of admire it. Not kind of. I did admire it because, you know, because it just showed me. And I think it's a great example for our swing thought friends that, uh, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter if you're 300, uh, you know, uh, sorry, 300. Uh, perfect. Why am I going to bowling now? <laughs> doesn't matter if you shoot 300. doesn't matter if you're three under or you're, you know, you have your worst nine ever. You were still going to leave that day. And uh, it was about the experience of hanging around with me or whoever you were going to play with that day. That was what was important. And that really is where we'll end off today. Because I just got a note from the billionaire's secretary that my meeting has been moved up 15 minutes. Oh, there you go. So, so just, yeah, in way of wrapping up, in, in, there's so much wonderful stuff that Ken Tarling was saying. Yeah. And he said one of the things that allows you to access your, your ability and be in a good state when it doesn't matter to you. And that's, there's a lot of brilliance there. Yeah. Um, I have a story about that. <clears throat> Maybe I'll save it for next time. Um, because the, 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 the transition in golf from just a casual round to an important round, or even inside a casual round, like if, if all you've ever shot, again, is a 90, and all of a sudden you find yourself with three holes to go, and you've done some calculations, and you realize you could bogey in, and shoot 89. Like, that's as real pressure as... Oh, I get it. But what if you could shift your mindset to, like, what am I going to learn about myself in terms right. of my ability to handle this pressure, even that number's there? If it's more about learning about what I'm doing here as opposed to posting the number, then it becomes more possible. Amazing. Um, Swing Thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. Glenn Karen. Uh, TaylorMade number one driver in golf, Glenn Karen, Club Link, Tim O'Connor at O'ConnorGolf.ca. Make sure you check out our Facebook page. HubbleandFredRadio.com. We seem to be uh, starting to be better about putting stuff up, stuff up on Facebook. Um, and uh, we'll see you. Uh, we're, who are we working on? We're working on Marlene Street. Marlene Street. Uh, we're going to get some of our uh, past uh, participants back on the show. Get and Fred uh, Shoemaker back. We're going to get Shoemaker back and Tarling back. So uh, have yep. a great week of golf, everybody. Yeah.